This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. Pastor Michael, it is a beautiful day to be recording the first of our summer interview series today. This is, uh, this is the beginning of a great summer of interviews, hopefully. Right. We will have some, a lot more interviews, um, and we will have some old friends and new friends join us to talk about a number of subjects uh, as we, we kick back, relax with whatever kind of beverage your denomination allows with uh, good friends. And so today we are happy that our first summer interview is with our old friend, Rob McKenzie. Rob, welcome back to Restless. Thank you. It is great to be back. Uh, Rob, you are our first returning guest. Wow. What's wrong? What's I, wrong? I know you've, you've, <laughs> I, you guys have run out of friends. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> And then you must back not to have me. been listening up to this really point. Sad. So you <laughs> still accepted the uh, invite back. <laughs> Rob, I should say I've had uh, several conversations where people have said, hey, identifying the seed uh, from that guy you interviewed. It's on my reading list. I'm planning to get it, you know, really interested in learning more from it. So, so it really seemed to uh, strike a chord, at least with some. Yeah, well, I, that's great. Um, I always like to hear that, that people enjoy the book and uh, have learned from it. Rob, you... Um, certainly we are, we're happy because many of our early listeners said they heard about us on the reform forum, but if we have newer listeners, which we do just tell them a little bit about yourself in case they do not yet listen to the reform forum and don't know you as well. Right. Yes. Well, uh, I am part of the reform forum. My, I do a weekly podcast with, uh, my pastor, Bob Tarillo, our po- podcast is called theology, simply profound. And uh, we're, so we're a podcast on the Reform Forum. Uh, we are not, like, I am not personally the Reform Forum, although I do keep telling people that I am. Yeah, I, I, should, I should keep that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's pretty much Reform Forum, Rob McKenzie, and then everyone else just under me. That's how I've... Perfect. Yeah. I mean, we are the official podcast of record for New Calvinism. So don't, don't, don't let anyone, don't anyone stop you. And the last time... We had Rob on. We talked about, um, yeah, his book, Identifying the Seed, which is a yeah, helpful introduction to covenant theology and a discussion of dispensationalism. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, we recommend you go back and, and definitely do so. Uh, it's actually one of the episodes that there's this Facebook group I'm in called Reformed Library. And every now and again, someone goes, hey, I got to figure out what dispensationalism is. And I say, here's this book. Here you go. And then I say, if you aren't sure if you want to read a whole book, here's him on my podcast discussing it. Mm-hmm. And every time I do it, one of the admins, I wish I remembered his name, like uh, praises that. Right. Well, I mean, it's a fantastic book. I mean, it everyone, is. Every, everyone should buy it and read it. Every it person is. in the world. That's right. The only criticism you can give of the book is that it's really good and everybody loves it. There you go. That's <laughs> yep. right. That's right. That's right. So, Rob, how does it feel to know that you have been on the podcast twice and Mark Driscoll hasn't even been on once? Well, it's not for your lack of trying. I know that you keep inviting him to come on, but, yeah. uh, but he hasn't returned your calls yet. Not yet. Not um, yet. I, I, you know what? Next time I have lunch with him, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. 
That'd be great. Yeah, We'd I mean, appreciate it'll be that. the first time I had lunch with them, but still, uh, <laughs> yeah. you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> we appreciate that. Well, today we are excited for this interview because Rob is actually releasing another book. And Rob, will you tell our listeners a little bit about your book? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's very different than my first book. My first book um, is a theological discussion, uh, helping people understand covenant theology and dispensationalism and the, the differences that, that we have with each other in the systems. Uh, this book is actually a novel. It's uh, based in the world of Pilgrim's Progress. So I'm using Bunyan's uh, secondary world that he created, and I'm but I'm using my own some of my own characters. I use some of, of uh, his current ones, like evangelist and interpreter. But my main character is uh, also leaving the city of destruction. Two weeks after Christian has left, he's going to try to find Christian and uh, and faithful and try to catch up with them. That's, that's one of his main goals when he first starts out. Uh, he embraces um, the, the Christian faith and starts along the road uh, that Christian Christian went. Uh, evangelist is helping him, sending him in the same direction uh, with the same gospel. And along the way, he uh, has a lot of conversations about not only Christianity, but about other religions. And uh, how are these other religions uh, wrong? Are they wrong? Did, did the king just give many religions to the world because there's many different people groups? And so there's a lot of discussion about that. And I use uh, different places that he stops at. Uh, for a polemic to talk about the gospel, um, really trying to emphasize uh, the atonement and what what is uh, the salvation of man? What is God doing uh, and why is he doing it uh, for our salvation? Well, fortunately for me, I was given a, an early copy of the book. And so I've gotten to read a good amount and I've been enjoying it a lot. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, Pastor Michael will too be committing to read it um, because I hear Michael, your kids love the original Pilgrim's Progress. Oh yeah. So I was, Matt and I were talking before we started recording mm -hmm. here about how much my kids are into Pilgrim's Progress. So okay. uh, I have a few young kids who listen to audiobooks often before they go to bed. And what there was a, a period of time when they listened through Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know how many times it must've been at least uh, a couple dozen times, and they know far more about it than me. Uh, so I've read it before, I think probably twice, uh, all the way through and uh, little bits and pieces here and there. And yet, whenever I had questions about it, or about the story, I would have to ask them. And my five year old son would be like, Well, this is, you know, this is what happened. And they'll, they'll play games. Uh, like last night, uh, we had some cousins over and they were uh, playing, you know, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or sometimes they say the valley of the shadow of doom and, and just, you know, fighting Apollyon and they jump on my back sometimes and say, look, we're your burden, we're your burden. So, so they're like super <laughs> into it. They're super fans. Uh, mm -hmm. So Rob, why would, why would my uh, five and three-year-old sons want to read your book? <laughs> or the audio book. <laughs> yeah, eventually they're, they're, I am planning an audio book. So maybe that oh, would good, be better good. for a five and three-year-old. Um, why are maybe that I should ask, you know, in the meantime, why should well, uh, their dad read them the book? Well, they, they would, I think your kids actually would love it because it is set in the same world. Um, again, I use a, a tokenism of a secondary world that Bunyan has created. I think um, what, what kind of got me writing the story was uh, in, our, in Theology Simply Profound, we did a series on Pilgrim's Progress and uh, we really enjoyed it. In fact, actually right now we're doing uh, the second part, the second 
the sequel of Pilgrim's Progress, where it's Christiana and her children that are on the, the road. And that's what we're doing right now at Theology Simply Profound. And uh, Bunyan, when, when he was writing, he keeps saying, especially in the first uh, book, uh, don't pay any attention to the story. Don't pay any attention to the story. This is allegory. Just, just look at the, at the message. And that was actually uh, when uh, people used allegory at that time for writing, uh, very medieval. And they would use, uh, like Chaucer, uh, they, it wasn't about the story. But what Bunyan ended up doing was he created a, a really interesting secondary world with characters that are very well-developed at some points. And so while he's sitting there saying, look, don't pay any attention to the story, don't pay any attention to the story, it's all about the allegory, he's then creating something that, what, how many hundreds of years later are children listening to, and they are, they are drawn in without even trying. They're drawn into that world. And while they're in that world, they're learning about Christianity, and they're learning about uh you know, salvation and the cross and sin. And, and yet you don't have to tell them or that, that, well, you need to listen to this because uh, I know the story is really boring, but, but you should listen to this because uh, we want you to learn these truths about, about God. You don't have to tell them that because they're drawn in that story just wraps them, wraps them up. So I've, I'm taking my story and putting it into that world. And I'm trying to, of course, highlight some of the things that Bunyan was doing, but Bunyan did such a, a great job in what he was teaching that it frees me up uh, to stand on his shoulders and come along and highlight other uh, doctrines that maybe were were not so well developed in his story. And I think that that if they love the Pilgrim's Progress, I do think uh, they would really enjoy this book. I think one of the things I want to praise actually early on is the story in your book. I do find the story really enjoyable. I'm enjoying to see uh, where it goes and I look forward to finishing it. Um, even recently, I think there's some, yeah, story-wise, I think you have kind of entered into it in his world and are, it, it, it's, in, it's really fun seeing the story that you're telling. And so I have a question for people like me who probably haven't read Pilgrim's Progress for a long time. How familiar do I need to be with Pilgrim's Progress to come and enjoy Seeker's Progress? Um, well, it's interesting because I had a number of readers that uh, well, after I wrote the story, I would give it out to different people. And I would say the majority of them, either they had read Pilgrim's Progress 20 years ago, or they'd never even read it. Uh, all of them were able to follow the story perfectly fine. You don't have to have read Pilgrim's Progress in order to read this book. I believe it's helpful that there's, uh, because I am using his story and I do make some subtle references to, to things that if you know Pilgrim's Progress very well, that you're gonna pick up on these subtle references. Uh, and, but it, it, a lot of that is just done for fun. Yeah, uh, I loved, I grew up reading Pilgrim's Progress when we did the series in our podcast uh, on Pilgrim's Progress. We went back and reread it again, and we're, we're really, I mean, I read it a few times while we were doing the, the podcast because I was digging into it. And so um, it was so fresh in my mind when I was writing this story that uh, whenever um, my main character's name is Seeker, whenever he is in an area or in a house that uh, Christian was in, I wanted to make sure that there was, there was maybe something within the house 
or the area that would have a subtle reference back to Christian um, for fun and for, yeah. for those who really do know Pilgrim's Progress very well. So for Michael's kids, apparently. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Definitely. They, they would pick up on it. They're, yeah. it it's amazing. But, In- but for most people, it, you don't have to have read Pilgrim's Progress to, to read this book. Yeah, and I would agree. I, I unlike Michael's sons, am not that familiar with it. And I it's been it's been great. It's been enjoyable for me. So who is the book for? What is the 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 yeah, the crux of the of the theology that you're developing out for people in it? Well, it's it's for everyone, for all Christians. Um I, I I've had uh I did have a high schooler read it and she really enjoyed it. So I think high schoolers can, can read it just fine. Oh, and apparently Michael's kids who right now, I believe are translating Shakespeare into <laughs> Greek. That's right. yeah. um, and that's fine. That's good on them. And it, but it's the, the main kind of the theological theme that I carry through this, what, 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 uh, um, what Alfred Hitchcock would actually look at as, as you, you have a thread in the movie that everything happens around this thread. It's called the MacGuffin. And, uh, it 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 doesn't matter what's happening around it. It's the theme that drives you through the story, and what the theme here that that drives through the story is a universalism and pluralism. So, um, are all religions actually the same, or are all of equal value, or do all, all religions have truth and falsehood within them? So we can't say that one is better than another because all all religions have good and bad within them. And I'm trying to show the uniqueness of Christianity. Uh, I think that there's a danger right now within uh, the churches that um, this acceptance of pluralism, this acceptance of, of uh, other, well, you know, who are you as an individual to say to somebody else that their religion is wrong? And I think that there's a lot of churches right now that are, that are adopting that and they want to say, well, we're going to teach Christianity, but we're never going to say that any other religion is wrong or that we're never going to say that Christianity is the only way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously those themes and challenges did not exist in Bunyan's day. Well, <laughs> I think that Bunyan himself, it's really interesting uh, at one point, when Christian comes through the valley of the shadow of death, he comes out and he sees this cave and there's a giant outside the cave that's dying. And it's, it has its last gasps are going on. And this giant's name is Pope. And he's looking at Catholicism and saying, it's almost dead. And back within the cave is pagan, giant pagan who's dead, according to Bunyan. He can't see the giant, but giant pagan is dead. And so Bunyan is saying kind of what you're saying, where he's like, look, not paganism, so false religion is, is gone from Britain, and Roman Catholicism is almost gone. Yeah. And so for him, he saw this as, as boy, we're, we're moving on. We have the true religion throughout the whole land, and, and we're just going to move forward. Um, so it's definitely changed since Bunyan's time. And for us, it's changed dramatically in the last uh, 50 years, I would say in, in the world, but all, especially in America. Yeah. Do, do, can you, do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, guys, I think you bring it out in the book. What, what does it look like, or you can give a real world example if one comes to mind of Christians, right. Wanting to hold on to Jesus, you know, 
as as special, important, their savior to them, but embracing a kind of pluralism, embracing maybe a practical universalism, you know, especially in maybe closer to the circles we run. Obviously, we know there are uh, totally universal, like universalist Unitarians, right? We're not talking about them. We're right. talking about maybe more conservative evangelicalism, what that might right. look like. Right. My concern is for the more conservative evangelical uh, part of, of Protestantism, uh, the, the acceptance of, of all religions, or at least the the, the wanting to say, well, maybe maybe be, maybe there's something that God is doing in other religions. And mm-hmm. uh, th- this kind of came to the forefront four or five years ago with what was called the insider movement. So this idea that you could you know, be a, a Muslim who becomes a Christian, but then spends the rest of their life as a practicing Muslim or as a Buddhist or as a Mormon or any other religion within the world that you become a Christian, but because of uh, societal uh, pressures or family pressures, or the fact that you might be killed if you announce that you're a Christian, you, it's better for you just to remain within the other religion and practice Christianity, which it's, it, this is just completely antithetical to scripture. And mm-hmm. we, are, we are told to, to come out, we are called out from the world. We are told that we are to not deny Christ. And you know, you, if you're in a, a false religion and you become a Christian to then practice that religion and keep it secret that you're a Christian is denying Christ. And so um, I'm trying to fight against that w- within the book. But I think that in today's, especially in our, in our individual society, we are all very individualistic and we want to look at other people and say, well, that truth is right for them. And who am I to say to them that mm. they're wrong? And it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds, well, that's very pious. Well, I'm not good. We shouldn't judge others. You know, don't, don't judge. And, and actually God has given us uh, a command to discern, which is judging. What we're supposed to do it in a Christ-like way, we're supposed to do it in a, in a non-hypocritical way. And the judgment that we are to have is not our own. We don't derive a judgment from ourselves. We derive judgment from scripture. And we say, thus saith the Lord, repent and believe and come out of the world and identify with Christ. And so for churches or individuals to look at uh, people who would say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but but I'm still just going to remain in this false religion practice because my family would disown me or my life might be in danger, which are serious. Um, th- those are, are things that, that are troubling to people. And I would feel horrible if I'm talking with somebody that's under that kind of pressure. And I'm not in any way saying that, you know, you understand that there are countries that if you become a Christian and it's known, you might be killed. And I'm not saying that if you become a Christian, you should put an ad in the paper saying, here's my address and uh, you should come get me. But we cannot allow ourselves to worship false gods and still claim Christ. It, it's Scripture is completely against that. Yeah. 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 It's obviously not something to take lightly for those people, but it's certainly whatever pastoral concerns we have to walk through is not a time to adjust our theology right even in the face of what christians throughout all ages in many places in the world have have given up and been willing to do um to confess christ you know 
a lot of times when people write a book, it kind of spurs from one particular scene or kind of an idea that grows. Was there, what was the, what was the inspiration? What was the thing that came to you that kind of brought you to want to write the book? Well, when we were doing the podcast series, I was, I was very immersed in uh, Pilgrim's Progress and uh, reading not only the, the book, but also what other people had said about the book. And uh, Derek Thomas has an excellent series. And really it just, I mean, I write, so I'm, I'm, I'm every day I do write something or I try to at least. And this story just kind of came to me and I just, I wrote the first draft in about two weeks. Wow. And it just, because I think it was because I was so immersed in it. And one of the, the points I'm trying to make in our uh, Theology Simple Profound series and part of my catalyst for even doing the series with, with Bob was that um, it, Bunyan's work, I think, has been overlooked um, up to this point as a, a literary story because he was trying to, it's, it, everybody understands, it's allegory. It's all about teaching. It's, but, and, and Bunyan himself kept saying, stop looking at the story. Don't look at the story. Don't worry about it. Just understand what I'm teaching but his story is so well developed and his the secondary world that he creates uh, is so good that I think that from a literary standpoint it needs to be reevaluated as literature mm. and so that's that, that was kind of what I was hoping to do with it and so when I started writing my own story about it it was um with that idea of entering into his secondary world and, and uh, it, 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 everything to me, everything just, just, I could see it. I mean, all the places I, I do, I create a couple extra places that Bunny didn't create. Um, but I also use places that he mentioned, but Christian never went to um, because, because again, you know, again, Michael's kids are the, are a great uh, uh, example where they're living with, they live in the world. They, they, they're able to, you know, what's often called the, um, you know, having, they have secondary belief and secondary belief is entering into a mythical realm, but it's doing so without having to try really. You, mm -hmm. you, you enter into it. It's believable. You don't have to say, well, I know this is fake, but I'm going to force myself into believing. This is all, you know, a lot of this, if, if you uh, want to follow up on this, look at, uh, J.R. Token wrote an essay called On Fairy Stories, mm -hmm. where he talks about secondary belief and um, creating a secondary world and the suspension, the willful suspension of disbelief. And it's it's how we enter into story. And if a story is written well, and if a, if a secondary world is created well, you, you don't have to try to be there. And that's why there are movies and cartoons and pictures and paintings and and of Bunyan's world. You know, we, we all have an idea in our head of what Doubting Castle looks like or what going through the Valley of the Shadow of Death looks like or being an interpreter's house. We, we can all visualize this. Uh, what, a couple of years ago, they just came out with that, that, uh, that cartoon, um, which was, it was okay. I wasn't really all that great of a fan. But the point is that, that it was very popular. And, you know, it's not the first one that was ever made. And so it, it, it's, uh, it's so good that, 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 you know, you asked about what, what, what was I trying to do? Well, I think I was drawn to that world and I wanted to see what else could be done with it. And that is really the mark of, of literature 
whether it's especially Tolkien, right? He's he's infamous for this. Is there's so much texture there? There are doors we don't open. There are adventures we don't go down, and and so there is more. There's more to tell, and I think that is yeah, is one of the the really fun parts of your book, and because I really would describe it as as a fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the story. I'm really enjoying the world, and so I just want to ask you a few questions if we can about uh, some of the story without any spoilers. And if we okay. if we get a spoiler, uh, we'll cut it. No worries. Um, okay. So because there, there there could definitely be some spoilers. There's definitely are, and I and I yeah. think I'm gonna, I think I'm I know how to avoid them. So okay, right. So the story, um, you know, begins with Seeker's journey. Mm-hmm. Leave. He's going to leave. So tell me, tell us about who Seeker is. He's he's different than Christian. He's a, he's yes. another pilgrim. He's a friend of Christians, though. He was he was a neighbor of Christians. Um, they knew each other. Had some conversations. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, you know, city, their area of the city of destruction is, you know, it's a close-knit community. And he is someone who, um, it's funny, um, he actually is a much nicer person than I wanted him to be, but he was hmm. just such a nice guy throughout the, the story. I kept trying to make him less nice, but he just kept, he, just, he really likes people. He likes to see the best in people. Uh, he likes to help people. Um, he he wants to understand uh, if people are upset or if they're thinking through something, he wants to be able to enter into uh, why they're upset. He wants to be able to understand what they're thinking and he wants to help them. Um, he, in the, I mean, at the beginning, he comes across uh, the book, uh, a book either that, that Christian had, he remembered Christian reading this book and he comes across one. And so he wants to see what it's about. And so he gets this book and he starts reading it. And he starts to find out that uh, the, that this king that Christian had been talking about, that it's all in this book. And he starts to come to believe it. And he, he realizes that uh, we have offended the king. The king has created us and we've offended him and that he has every right to judge us, but that he also wants to save us. And so he is, is telling people that we, we need to find that salvation that the king offers. And eventually evangelist comes and uh, puts him on the road. Uh, to the cross. Yeah, there's there's something very interesting I notice about Seeker. You know, one of the very interesting things are the ways he's different than Christian. He seems uh, very unsure of himself mm. oftentimes. Well, there's, there's he's wrestling with a lot of uh, what he thinks are, are contradictions. Mm. Uh, he, he realizes what the King's book says. But he also has this idea that he, the king is love. And if the king is love and the king has created everyone, then the king would want everyone to be saved. So therefore, the king must or should probably provide a way for everybody to be saved and in the end, maybe save them. Now, Evangelist is, is, keeps, you know, has told him that there's, the king will save his people and that those who who are not repentant or believe that they will be judged. And so he can't understand how both these things can be true. And so he wrestles back and forth um, throughout the book um, in different ways at different times uh, with that, with that tension. Yeah. Pastor Michael in the book, it kind of comes back to this, you know, a, a number of times, like 
a reasoning to whether we want to call it pluralism or universalism based on a kind of a, a Christian concept of God's love. No, So, I mean, I've not had the chance yet to read the book, though I do very much intend to. Uh, I, I intend to get it, especially if there's an audio version. Uh, I'm sure that my family would love listening to it together. Uh, it does seem, uh, as we were talking before, that it's just very pertinent uh, what you're talking about, because there is this, I mean, what you just raised, right? This, this uh, difficulty that Seeker is facing is... Uh, perhaps one of the most common uh, questions that seems to arise. Um, I remember sitting in my office with a couple just, you know, within a, within the last, I don't know, it was probably within the last two years who were pretty new to the idea of Christianity, but were very interested. They were very much seeking and they just kept bringing up these different passages in the Bible or ideas where they were like, wait a minute, but you know, this is not very loving of God. And uh, so, you know, working through that has uh, definitely, definitely helped me to see uh, where, where this can go a little bit awry. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess in with, without spoiling anything, I guess you uh, maybe can't go too much into detail, uh, but where does that kind of questioning take Seeker? Um, yes, without trying to spoil yeah, it. I, I don't know, maybe <laughs> you can, and we, um, we can just save it. I think it, yeah. I, I would say, and Matt, you can, um, you can tell me if, if, if you found this to be true, that um, while he does re keep wrestling with the same problems and issues, trying to reconcile them, uh, he does develop a clear-cut understanding of what he believes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, he definitely, because just like Christian, right, he meets you know, lots of people that are telling him different things. Some are helping, right? Just like evangelist and interpreter, and some are not. Uh, there is one interesting thing he does right at the beginning of the book. And I wonder if you'd, we'll find out if you're willing to comment on it at all. <laughs> he stays in the city of destruction for ministry purposes, right? He doesn't, he doesn't set out right away. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to tell us about that? Because I think that's a, a little thread that kind of gets pulled on uh, throughout the book. Yeah. I, I, I'll try to say what I can without trying to spoil anything later, but I, I will say that um, seeker to me, uh, looking at it from maybe more of an allegorical perspective, he is someone within the church. Like if we look at it at, at our church today, he is within firmly within the church. He is a member in good standing in the church. And um, if his acceptance or wrestling with acceptance of things outside of Christianity um, should never take away from the fact that he never, or at least he is always sees himself as being uh, part of the Christian road. He's on the King's highway. And when, when he, when he stays to do ministry, um, I, th I think the, the main point was that he didn't really see the kind of uh, necessity to leave the city of destruction as Christian saw. Christian was uh, ran out um, after he tried to, to bring his family, but his family would not go. And he ended up running out of the front gate, uh, holding his fingers in his ears 
um, so he wouldn't hear the people who were yelling after him to remain. And uh, Seeker, and this is in the beginning, I'll give a, a little bit of a spoiler, but Seeker um, thinks that that was poor form. That was, uh, you know, he, poor Christian, he thinks about Christian a lot. And, and you know, Christian's just emotional. And he's, he's kind of, he's, he's kind of a depressed, depressing person. Um, and he feels bad for him. And, and he wants to show that there are other ways to leave the city of destruction, better ways to leave the city of destruction. And so he, he stays um, for a, a, a while longer, even though evangelists has kind of told him he should go. And he stays to, to do ministry, to try to help the people. Um, it, it doesn't really go very well. He's disappointed because really nobody's listening to him. But, but again, he, Seekers is such a nice guy that he looks at everybody that's not listening to him and he's, he's just, well, you know, he feels bad that they're not listening, but that, that's okay. You know, that's okay. So, so that, that urgency of the gospel, even at the beginning, is, is even though he, he's, he, he would confess the gospel and he preaches the gospel, but that urgency of if you do not repent and believe you are doomed, is not really part of who he is. Uh, I I find the things in the book that for me are are most compelling are the times where um, you find seeker either facing a very similar problem uh, to Christian or and tell me if you want me to cut this or the times where he does actually briefly speak with Christian because. I find when he's facing these things so compelling because for me, it is a, it becomes, and maybe you intended this, a comparison between the kind of Christianity Bunyan was familiar with compared to the kind of Christianity that is more common around me and common around our time today. And whereas Bunyan's is the, is, is a harrowing journey, right? I haven't finished it yet. I I'm, I'm really, wondering and i'm really expectant to know if this is going to be a another triumph a harrowing journey or a tragedy because of the weaknesses that are inherent to the pluralism that's kind of come into our church right that this guy is this guy would be a member in good standing but it's hard to know how that's going to turn out on this pilgrimage if that's enough uh to hold on and so yeah in the book you find um uh, issues of the of the Christian's relationship to the law, relationships to the world, activism, doctrine, pluralism are all kinds of issues that the book and Rob really develops. And Rob, before I, I let you go, I, I was just thinking about this because of how modern um, seeker feels. I was thinking about this in regards to evangelicalism. It's very interesting to me that right Bunyan makes the Christian life um, a journey. And that is very different than the kind of concept of I uh, placing my faith in Christ is something I do one time. And then it's almost right. We've we used to talk about it. It was like, you've, you've punched your ticket to heaven, right? Now I'm waiting for, yes. you know, for the arrival of this and Michael and, and Rob, I, I just, I think this has caused me to do some reflection myself is can you kind of compare these two understandings of the Christian life and, and faith? I, I think that that's actually, while it's obviously just inherent to Pilgrim's Progress, 
is maybe a really important difference with how we understand the Christian life today. This is actually, I was telling Matt, I, I haven't been able to find it uh, quite yet, but I remember reading a story about C.H. Spurgeon, who loved the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, was known to have read it hundreds and hundreds of times, uh, was you know constantly using it in his sermons. Uh, there's a story where a woman approached him about the book and said, you know, she can't believe that he likes it so much because if, you know, this was real to salvation, then Bunyan would have just had the evangelist say right away, well, look, there's the cross, just go right there and it's over, uh, rather than making it this kind of prolonged uh, experience. And I don't remember uh, Spurgeon's exact words, you know, against that, but he did, uh, he did take the time to explain that, no, this is actually uh, much truer to life. Steve Spurgeon had such a good uh, view of John Bunyan that in his chapter of lectures to my students about allegorizing scripture, he says basically that you should only allegorize scripture if you're good at it. And so John Bunyan could do it whenever he wanted. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't follow him all the way there, but, uh, but I do find his, you know, reverence for Bunyan to be, uh, to be uh, uh, quite, quite spectacular. Uh, anyway, that's just, you know, that's just something that came to my mind. Um, I do think that it's true that we have, by and large, in at least American evangelicalism, uh, we really have a cheap view of the Christian life. Um, so everything is, it's consumeristic, right? So I just, well, I, I bought this thing, right? I have this thing. I, it's, there, there's no delayed gratification. There's no growth into maturity. Um, there's just this, you know, the, the only difference is, are you in or out? As soon as you're in, there's like it's all done, right? Uh, everything's done. And this leads to basically a kind of, of prolonging of a, what I would maybe refer to as like a, a spiritual childishness or adolescence uh, where you, you're maybe like, you're maybe in the door, you've maybe started, maybe you're a seeker, right? Like maybe you've, you've started down that path, uh, you've started to learn, you've started to grow, and then you stop. And uh, there, there is, far more, right? There, how many uh, scriptures uh, do we have that tell us to press on into maturity, to, uh, you know, work out your salvation in fear and trembling? Uh, how many scriptures do we have warning us about the dangers of apostasy and things like this? Uh, this, it seems to me that, you know, the Pilgrim's Progress really actually presents a much more biblical view of the Christian life. Oh, I, I would agree. Um, you know, the thing about the, the Pilgrim's Progress, you know, the, the first book, is Bunny didn't write it to, to publish it. That's not why he was writing it. He was writing it, um, he was in prison. He was writing it for himself. He was writing it as, uh, I think it was very cathartic for him actually. And it's his story. This is how he came to faith. This was how his yeah. life went when, when it came to his Christianity. So uh, it, uh, the, the criticism is true. Um, first you send him to the cross and then you learn. Uh, Bunyan himself had that criticism labeled at him uh, after the book was eventually released and it became so popular. So when he writes the second book with Christiana and, and the children, uh, he makes sure that everyone knows that when Christiana and the boys and Mercy, uh, who's traveling with her, uh, go through the wicked gate, that that actually is when they are saved. So that, that way, you know, before they get to, he, he kind of fixes it. And there's, uh, there's the jury's out as to whether or not in the first book he intended it, the salvation to occur at the wicked gate or at the cross. 
I th- actually think it was it was in Bunyan's mind it was at the cross because that's where he loses his burden. Derek right. Thomas would say no, it was at the wicked gate. So I'll, I, if, if you're going to defer to somebody, uh, go with Derek Thomas. Um, but but still, it because it was so personal to him, it, a, a lot of his own experiences are in there, and he's writing at the time of the Puritans. So the Puritans were were much better at understanding that our Christianity is a life journey where they, uh, where they, they ended up would take it a little too far because then they became very introspective. So introspective that it took away from actually living the Christian life to the point of fear. Have I done enough today? You know, so all these good Calvinists were acting like good Arminians. And today I think Matt, Matt was right where it's this idea that we, you know, we, we, we signed the card. We, we remember, you know, uh, I mean, even even in Reformed churches, when you have people who were baptized as infants and then they grow up and they make profession and then they're always in the church, and so it's not like they they didn't grow up like like we did, where we signed the card, but but they still end up in the same place where it's almost like yeah, it's Christianity. I know that someday Christ is coming back and and I'm going to go to heaven and then there's new heavens, and new earth. But as for now. <laughs> Yeah, we're just waiting for that, and you know, actually, I'm kind of bored uh, in the yeah. Christian. I'm just, just going to go. Uh, I'll go to church, but that gets boring too. So, this idea of scripture that tells Paul keeps saying, "Look, you're running a race. Do it well. You're fighting a battle. Keep fighting." You know, it, it's it's this ongoing daily uh, journey, and and Bunyan depicts it so well in his book that if all Christians were to understand that we are all on that road, on the King's highway, headed to the celestial city, and that along the way, we're going to have trials. We're also going to have blessings. We're going to have times where we learn. We're going to have times where uh, we, you know, we, we might mess up. We might sin. We might have to come to repentance. This is the Christian life. And we need to be vigilant every day that we're living every moment for the glory of God. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a great place to leave it. Rob, tell our listeners where they may find such a fine book as this one. Well, it will be, um, the paperback will be available on Amazon um, and the ebook, uh, Kindle uh, ebook will be available on Amazon June 1st. Um, there's going to be a hardback that will also be available on Amazon, but it's, it's, uh, um, I'm hoping that the hardback is the version that um, will end up in bookstores. Uh, there will be an audio version. I'm, the hardback, I'm hoping, will come out June 1st as well. Uh, we'll see. Things, uh, things seem to be uh, delayed right now in trying to get the hardback, the cover uh, fitted just right. There will be an audio version. That actually is going to be coming out later. I don't have a date on that. Yeah, well, please walk, don't run to wherever <laughs> fine books are sold. You might check out a, that mom and pop website, Amazon. They uh, they have a good thing going. They're, they're selling got a books. Future. Yeah. Um, yeah, pre-order uh, the ebook right today, the day this episode comes out. And we, uh, I recommend it. I'm looking forward to uh, reading it. And I will, I will rate and review the book on Amazon, Rob. Always, and I'll, we hope. Always appreciate it. Yeah, we hope you will rate and review this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Five stars, only five stars. That's right. Give Rob's book five stars. Give our podcast five stars. 
Join us next week for more Restless Summer. Pre-order Rob's book right now. <laughs>